This is Andrei Stolzers and you are listening to the Film Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and brace yourself for what I anticipate will be another difficult listen. After Fulham were incredibly wasteful in the first half, they dominated at the Hawthorns. We ended up being grateful for a point from a must-win game, leaving us in a perilous position in the bottom three in the Premier League. Stato and Baldo are here to go back over the game. Plus, we're joined by Sonia Twig, a sports reporter for PA Sport. She's been covering Fulham this season and goes to the home games and the majority of the Fulham press conferences as well. So it'll be good to see how she sees things from the press box. Let's go. Fulham. Firstly, welcome Sonia and thanks for joining us. Before we start, can I ask you to explain a bit about your involvement with the club this season, please? Of course. So I've been covering Fulham this season. I've been to all but one of their home games and most of their press conferences with Scott Parker. But my involvement with Fulham goes back quite a long way. My dad's a season ticket holder in the Hammersmith End and used to bring me along probably about 10 years ago when I was at school. I used to go to most home games and a few of the away ones with him as well. Very nice. So you've been lucky or unlucky enough to be going to the going to the games this season. Um what have you made of things at Fulham this season? I think Baldo and Stato probably both need cheering up, as do most of the audience, after sitting through that absolute shit show on Saturday afternoon at the Hawthorns. Is there any hope left for Fulham to stay up, uh, in your opinion? I think there is. I think there's been a huge improvement already this season. Um, I have to say I'd written Fulham off after the opening day against Arsenal and didn't really see a way back. It looked very much like a championship side. But I think Parker's brought in a lot of players and there's been some improvements especially at the back but I have to say I don't really see Fulham staying up unless they start converting those chances into goals as we saw yesterday. Yeah and then converting those uh, those goals into wins and those draws into wins we just can't seem to win a game at the moment. Um, Baldo and Stato the big news before the game of course was that Mitro was back in the side as was Anthony Robinson on the left of a back five Bobby Reid moved back to right wing back instead of left wing back uh, in place of Kenny Tete. But what a difference to the side having our only proper striker back in the lineup made, particularly in the first half, Stato. Absolutely. I think pretty much from kickoff, you could just tell there was that instant difference. You know, we had that focal point in attack. All the balls were going to him. All chances that we were creating were coming through Mitrovic, coming through that central striker who was the, he was then playing it out wide to Lookman Reed. Loftus Cheek was getting involved and you know it, it makes you wonder why we were ever starting Cavallero in the first place. It's a good sign. Hopefully Mitro can keep this up. How about for you, Baldo? How did Mitro get on in his first start in God knows how long? Uh pretty excellent as as Matt as you know, as Matt Arthur said, and even in the brief glimpses that we got in the last game, I think in, in the last game, basically his first touch was to bring someone into play in you know typical centre forward fashion. So that was the moment when you think, right, that's what we've been crying out for. And then it just managed to magnify itself over the first 10 minutes. It, we were a completely different side. And you know, I was saying during the earlier part of the season that you know I can see I could see why Mitrovic wasn't being included in the side if you go back to last season and that stat where we didn't lose a game without him for however long it was. You could make the argument, but when you actually see it in person, you can tell we're a completely different team and we're better for it. You say that about last season, but the stats are there in the black and, in black and white about last season. 26 goals, top scorer in the championship. How can you be leaving him out? For even Cavalero, for Christ's sake. I do, I do not understand it. Sonia, let me come to you because, you, as you said, you go to the, the press conferences and every soundbite that I hear from Scott Parker, he always talks about how well he thinks Cavalero's doing. What's going on there? Why, why is even Cavalero anywhere near the side in front of Alexander Mitrovic, in your opinion? It's down to pace. Um, I think if Fulham are playing a counter-attacking football, I think Scott Parker's decided he'd rather have players who could run and put pressure on the defence. And 
Mitrovic is great at holding the ball up, but if you're talking about quick breaks against sides that are going to dominate possession, I'm not sure Parker sees him necessarily fitting into the side. Having said that, Parker did say this week that the reason he Mitrovic hasn't been playing recently was he's sort of taken him out the side to give him a bit of a breather and get him, get, get him away from it a bit after losing his confidence. I think he mentioned the, the Serbia game where he missed the decisive penalty. So I wonder if maybe he just needed a bit of time away from it recently. Well, I hope he's back in the side for good now. I, I was also surprised, actually, because there there seemed to be almost a, a telepathic understanding between Kenny Tete and Alexander Mitrovic at the start of the season where Tete's supply of crosses into the box was being lapped up by Mitrovic for a couple of games at the start of the season. I was surprised that Kenny Tete uh, didn't start. Uh, Baldo, do, do you think that was a fitness issue or, or tactical? How did you see that decision? I th- I think it was prob- probably a little bit of both because Tete has been coming back from injury and so he probably Parker probably wants to manage it as best he could. But at the same time, there is the argument that Bobby Reed has been you know incredibly effective at that point. So it's a case of do you risk Kenny Tete getting injured or do you play someone that's been doing pretty well in that role? And obviously, it all paid off with the with the first goal. I'm going to put this comment out there and I'm going to ask all three of you if you think this is harsh or if you think this is fair. But Bobby Reed being undroppable in this Fulham side, does that not say everything about this Fulham side? The fact that Bobby Reed is the one that we're trying to shoehorn into any position into the side. Oh, well, he scores goals, so let's put him at left back. Oh, he scores goals, let's put him at right back. We've got a left back. We've got Joe Bryan. We've got a right back. We've got Kenny Tete. What is Bobby Reed? All right, he scored yesterday. Fine, he scored and he scored a few this season, but he's hardly prolifically banging them in. Is he undroppable? I think I think it's more his work rate than anything that Scott Parker likes about him. He, you know, he puts in a shift whenever he plays. He can play. He's played literally everywhere for us apart from centre back. I think it was um, a tweet that Sonia put out the other week after the Brighton game where. Parker said that he played him at left back because he wanted us to score goals, which is quite a questionable comment. But hey, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But I think it's not the case that he's undroppable. It's the case that he's a hard worker. Scott Parker's teams are all built on, you know, working hard, earning a place. And that's what Bobby Reed is. And to his fairness, he is our top scorer. And he has been playing well. It's just a case of trying to find what his best position is in this team, I think. I think it may be a case of best of a bad bunch because the whole team has been struggling this season. You know, even Bobby really has struggled at times, but there have been some moments of, you know, flash and brilliance that make you think, right, that's why he's in the team. That's why he's so important to us. And if we do have to play him, you know, out of, you know, out of his even more natural position from striker, then you put him at right back, then you put him at right wing back and then you put him at left wing back. We've got to get him in somewhere because he will produce something. In the absence of a clear striker and when, you know, Fulham's problem it has been recently trying to find the back of the net, I think Parker was just looking to get as many people on the pitch as he thought was capable of scoring goals. Yes, it didn't necessarily pay off, but I'm not I'm not sure, you know, what, what the alternative would be. For me, I, I think it's quite clear. I think I think it's just overcomplicating things. Kenny Tesse plays right back. Anthony Robinson plays left back. And if he's not available, Joe Bryan plays left back. Mitrovic plays up front regardless. And if there's room for Bobby Reed in that team, then fine. Bobby Reed wouldn't be top scorer in this team if Mitrovic had been playing every game this season. I've, I've absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, and I don't I don't want to start knocking Bobby Reed because he's obviously done a really good job this season. I'm just trying to make the point that we we have better players and we we have better players in who are recognised in those positions. And I think, you know, relegated teams start messing about like this. Team, teams that are going to go down. And that's that's the position we kind of find ourselves in at the moment. I, See, I really, really do I'm think just going to come in there. Um, I would have to respectfully disagree with that. I think, you know, in terms of our best team... Let's say we play. Let's say we play the, the standard four-two-three-one or four-three-three, or whatever you say it. In that right mid spot, you know that's that is Bobby Reed's spot. I'd say because look at all the options we have: Kamara, who's useless; we have Cavalero, who's you know a bit iffy; Cabano, who's probably going out on loan. Like there's no one else there. So I think you know Bobby's spot is that right mid spot. And what we've seen throughout the season is that 
white mid spots kind of evolved into that back five. So when we when we do defend, he drops back into that white wing back spot. And if you play Tete there, there's the argument that we're kind of losing that attacking threat because we're playing or essentially playing a defender instead of a midfielder in that right mid position. So for me, it's not a case of Tete or Reed. It's a case of uh, Tete or Reiner because they're if we both playing them, then we're essentially playing two right backs in the starting eleven, and that's for me. That's just a bit too defensive for my liking. Okay, well let's move on. Let's talk about our opening goal because it was a lovely goal. Ten minutes in, um, Adamola Lutman picked out Mitrovic. Mitrovic took a touch and split the West Brom defence open. Put Bobby Reed in, and Bobby Reed finished perfectly past Sam uh, Sam Johnson in the West Brom goal. Perfect start in such a big game, Baldo. Yeah, and this is the kind of goal that we've basically been crying out for, it's especially in games like this. You know, ball into Mitrovic, he holds the ball up and wait, reading for whoever's going to be coming in alongside him. You know, it happened to be Bobby Reed on this occasion, but you'd hope that, you know, pl- plenty of times through the game, you'd have Loftus-Cheek and Adamota Lookman and Bobby Reed as well latching onto those passes. It is what we've been missing all the season. And it perhaps sort of hurt the fact that the, that our first goal came like that because it gave you that sense of right where's where has this been it, it just gave you that little bit more anger that we could be much better than we have been but he's been stuck on the sidelines yeah and then eight minutes later it should have been two nil the same man again Bobby Reed was played through on goal seemed to have the whole of the Hawthorns at his mercy um, but this time he hit the post. He's got to score that, hasn't he? And in reality, Sonia, that miss has probably cost Fulham really dearly, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that was the three points gone there once once the second half started and they got straight back into the game. I think Loftus-Cheek had another good chance, similar to his one on Wednesday. I, I just think in the position we're in, those chances have got to be converted. Well, West Brom made an early unforced substitution, bringing on Carlin Grant for Dara Roche, and they changed their system. And it continued to be one-way traffic for Fulham. Firstly, Loftus-Cheek had a had a shot that just went narrowly over. Then Adam Ola-Lutman um, seemed to be pulled over in the penalty box. Um, I don't know. I, I found the, the BBC commentators mildly irritating yesterday. They, they seemed to be brushing off a couple of decisions that could have gone our way. Um, VAR checked it and said that it wasn't a penalty. But to me, that defender's arms are all over Lutman. Stato, penalty for you or not? Uh, I think it would have been a very soft penalty had it been given. It would have been a case of had the ref given a penalty, VAR would have had to look at it and they wouldn't have turned it over. But because he didn't give the penalty, there wasn't enough there to kind of overturn his decision, um, which is unfortunate. And... You know, we were we were good that half. We were very good. Um, but you know, the thing for me that irked me the most is that we were on top. We were dominant, but we and you know, it's the obvious that we didn't make them pay. But when you know, if you look at other games this season where teams have been on top and you know they really try and press for that second goal, they keep you know hammering and hammering at that door and try and get it through. For us, we were on top, but we didn't seem to kind of up the tempo. So I. Our players are like, oh, we're playing well. Let's just keep this up. And if a second goal comes, yay. If it doesn't, then oh well. And you know, it's that kind of, it's that lack. It was kind of that lack of, you know, just wanting to kill the game and get that second goal. And you know, as we know, that did cost us in the second half. A lot of this, I mean, you make your own luck, but I do feel like a lot of this comes down to luck because you look at. All right, the Sheffield United game, we should have won had we scored that penalty. Then the West Ham game when Adam Lutman did that ridiculous thing with the penalty. There's more points there to be won. And then this game yesterday as well, it's it's two points thrown away. Um, we had such a strong half in the first half. West Brom were absolutely dreadful and we really should have put them to the sword. We had so many chances. Obviously, we deserved a, a lead, but... 1-0, it should have been 3 or 4. Ariola barely touched the ball. He had nothing to do. Um, what, what do you think, Baldo? Your, your assessment of that first half yesterday, how many could it have been and should it have been? It could have been 3, it could have been 4, it should have been 3 or 4. I just want to touch on the thing about luck, though. I think some some elements of it do come down to luck. But at the end of the day, there is also an element of you know quality in there. You know, 
if we had a better forward than, and I don't want this to be a total Tony Khan bashing because the transfer thing, but if we did have a better quality of forward in there, then they, then Bobby Reed, for instance, might have been able to put the second chance away. Adam Olodekorokpa has been good, but if we got someone slightly more quality, could he have done better? Loftus Cheek could he have done better with his chance? There is, I don't want to say it's all down to that, but there is just an element of the players there do have to take some of the blame themselves. I know Scott Parker comes in for a lot of criticism and Tony Khan comes in for a lot of criticism, but at the same time, the players there have to do the job. And if they're not up for it, then you have to ask whether or not the quality is there to do and whether or not they should be in the team. I think that's a really good point. It's it's difficult to criticise Scott Parker because we had so many chances yesterday and Scott Parker's not the man stood in front of the, the goal you know, trying to put the ball in the back of the net, and you know these days it's it's the players. And there was a there was a, a moment yesterday as well where Lookman uh, was kind of running towards the penalty area. Mitrovic overlapped him and went down the left, and he should have played him in. It was a simple pass to him, and instead he went for the wrong ball into the middle. And I find that with with Lookman quite a lot, he makes the wrong decision with his passing, and I find him quite frustrating. Obviously, he's done a lot of good things this season, and his his finishing's improved, but. Just moments like that, um, and we we criticise Kamara as well for that sort of thing. You know, not having a decent enough football in brain to pick players out. But Stato, I, I, I felt yesterday that that not only with the Mitrovic one, but where um, the the penalty incident, for example, he could have taken a touch to get in front of that defender and get away from that defender, and instead he took it, tried to take it outside the defender, and took himself away from goal. Well, it's just moments like that where you just think, you know. Make, make the right decision and score, for goodness sake. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a quote from Jurgen Klopp a few weeks ago where he said, you know, the make, what makes a good footballer is his decision-making. And that's that's all being a footballer is, really. You know, obviously, you've got to have the talent to be the footballer, but, you know, it's all about the decisions you make at that certain point in time, whether you make that pass, whether you do the shot in one corner or the other. And, you know, like you said, Lookman, he's been one of our best players this season, so he's kind of avoided a lot of criticism. But, you know, in that game yesterday, it kind of showed that he still has a lot to work on. There's still, you know, choices that he needs to make that need to make be better choices. And, you know, we say bad luck, but at the end of the day, it's just bad choices. And, you know, that needs to change. And whether that's down to the players, whether that's down to the coaching, you know, that's that's all kind of behind the scenes, but it needs to change and it needs to change quickly. And Sonia, as we all know, if you don't take your chances, you pay the price. And as soon as the teams came out for the second half, we paid the price. It was the first goal West Bromwich scored at home under Sam Allardyce, as the BBC commentators gleefully announced when the ball flew into the back of the net. And a real sucker punch after such a strong first half from Fulham. Yes, I definitely agree with that, I think. It just shows when you don't start a half or a game quickly enough, you can be punished and find yourself chasing the game, even if you have dominated. I think we've seen it in a lot of games this season. The point I would make on Lookman is he is only 23. And if if you sign a player like that who's creative, it's his first time really in the Premier League, I think he will be good and his decision-making will only get better with age. That's all very well, but we haven't got time to wait. We've, we're here for one season, potentially, and I, I don't care if he's good in two years' time, if he's not with us. He needs to be good now. And he he, he is good, let's be honest. He's a good player, and he's been, he's been very good for us. I don't want to get on his back too much, but just some of the decisions he makes, I just I find really frustrating. And I think, um, I think he, he has the opportunities there to carve teams open, and, and we miss those opportunities a lot. Let's move on, though. And in the second half, West Brom looked a completely different side. We struggled to formulate any sort of attack, to be honest. They were all over us for that kind of opening 20 minutes of the um, of the second half. And 20 minutes after the equaliser, we fell behind. And it could have been 3-1 shortly after that as well, if, if their shooting had been a bit more accurate. Stato, sum up your feelings when we went behind. Uh, it was just... It was just agony, to be honest. Um, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Um, we did so well in that first half. In that second half, it was just a shadow of, of what we were playing like. We couldn't string a pass together. We couldn't get the ball. And we conceded after two minutes. And after that, our players just looked shell-shocked. We didn't know what to do. We, there was no 
system in place like there was in the first half. I think I saw um, some stats earlier um, earlier yes earlier today where you know the first half, first half it showed our players having a, a clear structure. The heat maps were all kind of in sync and it was working how it would be in the second half. It was just all over the place and. You know, a bit of credit goes to West Brom and Big Sam for kind of kicking them up the arse and getting them to play because they were awful in that first half. But come on, we had to react to that and we had to do better. And it was just so disappointing to see. I refuse to give Big Sam any credit. He looks such a bell end stood on the sidelines with his bloody hood up. Just, I don't know, it, it reminded me of Steve McLaren when he had his brolly up. He just looked an idiot. Can't stand that bloke anyway, so no credit to Big Sam from here, I'm afraid. Um, with 18 minutes to go, talking of credit, with 18 minutes to go, Scott Parker made what felt at the time like a completely uninspired substitution, but it proved to be pivotal in rescuing a point for us. Even Cavalero and Harrison Reed came on for Bobby Reed and Mario Lamina, and the substitutes combined for a quite superb equaliser. What a ball from the right from Harrison Reed, and let's be honest, we give um, Cavalero a lot of a lot of stick, but decent finish as well, Baldo. Yeah, although I do want to say it touches back on what you said about luck earlier. There was an element of luck there because Harrison Reed, as much as he was getting praise from the from the commentators, he was not aiming for even Cavallero. Everyone oh, knows that. he was aiming. For, he was matter. aiming for Mitrovic there. What a ball though! He's bent that round the back I mean, of the yes. defender into the danger zone, and 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 even if uh, Cavallero doesn't finish that, I think it's a penalty on Mitrovic anyway. He's bundled over. I mean, yeah, it probably is, but I don't want this to be like the the greatest assist of all time, Rita Caviero. There was an element of luck in it. But if you want to take that away from it, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And surprising because I don't think anyone ever expected uh, Harrison Reed to find himself out on the right wing in that sort in that sort of situation. So where he's you know where that idea came from, no one is really gonna know. But I'm just glad it did. I completely disagree with you. I think it's such a good ball. It's it's speculative. Maybe he's not aiming for Cavalero, but he's bent that round and it's gone right round the back of the defence and it's impossible to defend, to defend against that. Stato, help me out here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. What I will say, right, Parker made that change, but he did not make that change with the intention of Harrison Reed swinging crosses in. Okay, so Parker got very lucky there for, by making what looked like an inspired change. It was a good cross. Like I said, it was a fantastic cross. We... You know, we don't know who it was going to, but you know, having to rely on a lucky bit on a lucky ball like that to salvage draw against West Brom, it's you know, it's still nothing to really celebrate about, is it? See, yeah, I you told make, you, lucky, you, and he backed me up. It's lucky. You make your own luck, though. Yeah. You make your own luck, as we've you already do. said. You do, and I think we need to see more of that. We need to see more balls getting swung into the box like that because. What we see a lot with Parker balls, eight passes it around, you know, lots of little passes. What we don't see enough is players getting in those positions and just swinging those balls balls into the danger zone. You know, that was a, that was the best example you could find. Harrison Reed, he didn't mean to do that cross, but he got the cross and it went to the perfect position. But that's only kind of the first time we've seen that in a long time. If we do that more, then you know the odds would dictate that we get more goals and more chances will happen. So I'm hoping Parker saw that and you know, had some ideas in his head that, you know, how can we do this more? I actually disagree with that and say that at the start of the season, Parker's tactic or Fulham's tactic was put as many crosses as you can into the box and something will happen. And if there's only Mitrovic there, defence learned that if they put two players on Mitrovic, there was nowhere else it was going to go. And they were defended really easily and Fulham didn't, you know, really, really struggled to score goals probably more so than now. So I'm not sure just putting many crosses into the box if they're not of good quality is necessarily the answer. That's true. That's true. But I think also at the same time, it's a case of, for once, we actually had more than Mitrovic in the box. We actually had Cavalero there before. Like you said, it was it was just Mitrovic in the box. And I think a lot of the time, he was just a very isolated man there. And if we kind of do overload the box a bit more, then you know, doing things like that will result in better chances. The thing here as well is playing with a more dynamic nature. You know, you you want to, you don't want to be predictable. You don't want to just rely on swinging crosses into the box or pass, 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 and then try and pick somebody out through the middle. It's it's good to have all of those options to keep defenders on their toes. Otherwise, you just become too predictable, and and it's easy to defend against. Which you know, what have we scored this season? Seventeen goals, is it in twenty games? 
something like that, it's, it's not good enough. And something's got to give in the next 18 games. Otherwise, the inevitable is going to happen. So I, I really hope that we have a strong finish to the second half of the season. Like we always have done in the Premier League, actually. We've, we've always performed better in the second half, particularly towards the end of the season. Um, two years ago, we didn't start playing football until we were relegated. And then we started winning games. So we need to start doing that pretty soon. Um, let's come back onto this one and wrap up really quickly. So Kenny Tesse did replace Ola Aina um, in a move presumably designed to get some dangerous balls into the box in the closing stages of the game. Um, Mitro almost won the game for us with a header from a corner, which was well saved by Sam Johnston. But the game ended in yet another point, which does neither side any good. Not that we care about West Brom at all. Um, but we've now drawn the two must-win games this week. And Sonia, it does look like a mammoth task to keep us up from, for Scott now, doesn't it? How, how's he going to defend this and turn this into a positive at the next press conference? Going to be difficult. Um, I, I don't think he'll try and turn it into a positive. You see, from what I read about his post-match press conference after yesterday's game, he sort of said that they weren't good enough. And he was definitely like that after the Burnley Cup game, he sort of said that they didn't offer enough. So I think... I think he might not turn it into a positive, but I think Fulham will have learned a lot. It's the first time they've scored two goals since in the league since November, and I think that's got to be a bit of a boost. Yeah, it's just a shame it was against such a shit side. It would be nice to score a couple of goals against somebody that's good for a change, but we're, we're, we've got Leicester on Wednesday, which we're going to preview very shortly. So we'll talk about how we can score more than one goal against them. Let's wrap up here, though. Um, Baldo, I want to come to you first of all. Um, for your man of the match against West Brom. Who are you going for, mate? It might be a little bit emotional given everything that went on around it, but I'd have to say Alexander Mitrovic just because of just because of the the in the tangible difference that you could tell he brought to the side. And no long may it continue. So I'll say Mitrovic. Well, I think Dion Dublin gave it to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, which I was really surprised about. Firstly, because I didn't think that Loftus-Cheek had a particularly good game. And secondly, because his dick was so far up West Brom's arse all through that second half that I was absolutely shocked that he gave it to a Fulham player. Um, how about you, Stato? Who would you give it to? Um, yeah, I think I'd have to agree with Baldo. Um In that first half, we were all fantastic and that all was channeled through Mitrovic. Uh, it's a shame everyone, including him, faded away in that second half, which kind of made it hard to decide who should be man of the match. But I think for that first half performance alone, it should go to Mitrovic. Yeah, three Mitrovic's as well. I, I'd also agree. I think the second half, he was he was somewhat anonymous. But as I've said a few times on, on this show this season, I, I think that he helps out a lot with the defence as well, um, particularly when balls are being swung into the box and he gets in the way of them and he he clear he, he made a couple of important clearances uh, at the back as well. So definitely Mitro for me. Sonia, how about for you? I think I have to agree with all of you. I think definitely Mitrovic. He just offered a completely different dimension up front that I don't think Fulham have had in recent games um, and looked a lot more like scoring. Yeah, good stuff. Well, let's hope he's back and um, let's, let's hope he's not dropped again this season. Um, we're going to come on to a Scott Parker rating for this one out of 10. I think, I think I'm going to give him a seven. It was a must win game and we should have won it. And I don't think he could have done much else from his position. You you can't blame people missing chances um, on the manager. So for me, it's going to be a seven for this one. Stato, how about for you? Um, I think seven's way too high for him. I think we've been quite generous to Parker on this podcast today for you know the result that happened and take a point that it was not his fault we didn't take our chances, but I think it was his fault that we didn't react enough in the second half quick enough. Um I think it, you know, he he would have known that Sam, big Sam would have, you know, given his players a bollocking at half time and they would have they would have come up all fired up and that's exactly what happened. And we didn't react to that. And yeah, it, it just kind of faded away from him and we needed to win that game. So I'm going to give him a four, I think. It just wasn't good enough. And, you know, the players weren't good enough, but equally he wasn't good enough either, I don't think. But what if, uh, it's all what ifs, isn't it? But what if Bobby Reid had scored that and uh, we'd have been given a penalty or Lutman had scored and we were 3-0 up at half time, and then the second half we maybe conceded a goal, added another one, came away 3 or 4-1. That 
what that isn't that much of a stretch of the imagination given the way that that game went it isn't it isn't and you know he gets he gets he gets positives because you know the, in that Brighton game he mucked up he mucked the Brighton game up horribly with yes, that team lineup definitely. and his tactics and he recovered from that well and the first half was fantastic but just the way it went in the second half he has to take some responsibility there and he has to take some blame I think Okay, mate, fair enough. How about you, Sonia? What would you give Scott Parker out of 10 for his managerial performance at the Hawthorns on Saturday? I think I'd agree with you, actually, and give him a seven. I thought the first half was completely miles away from the Brighton performance. It had intensity and there was a lot of creativity, never mind the chances. And I also think he deserves credit for the double substitution at the end, which I have to admit I wasn't completely confident in. But, you know, five or six minutes later, I was proved wrong. I think Will um, posted into the team chat, didn't he, that he tweeted something like, this is a terrible substitution, Cav and and Reid for Lamina and Bobby Reid. And then he just screenshotted what he'd written after the equaliser and went, yeah, that went well. (laughs) <laughs> he tweeted it out for the whole world to see. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that tweet now been deleted. Yeah, it should be. Shocking, I mean, Will. I got, Shock- I, got, I got a message off my dad saying, I've no idea what that double substitution is all about. And then another one a few minutes later going, well, I guess yeah. I was wrong. Yeah, and everyone thought it. Everyone thought it. Everyone thought, what is this change? This is just completely uninspirational. Um, but it worked, so to, to an extent. How about you, Baldo? What are you giving Parker out of 10? Uh, I'm going to give him a six, so somewhere somewhere in the middle between you mm. two. I think I, I think there is some elements to what you were saying. You know, if Bobby Reed had put the chance away and Lugman had put the chance away, it probably comes out dinner. But I think there's something about the way he managed the game as it went through. Like, for instance, I think we didn't have a shot. I was tracking this the other day, or yesterday, from the 38th minute till I think the 74th minute, we didn't have a shot either on target or just a shot in total. So that probably falls on him to some extent for not changing things. And reacting, he's he's in danger of this a couple of times this season. He reacts to things rather than being proactive. And the fact he didn't make the subs until we'd gone 2-1 down when he could have changed things up a bit. So he gets points off for me. But the way he set up was all fantastic. No one can really complain there. So he gets marks on for that. So I'd say six. Okay, mate. Very good. Well, guys, it's transfer deadline day on Monday evening. Now Mitro has finally worked his way back into the side. Are we really that desperate for another striker? It doesn't sound like there's one on the cards who's going to come straight into the team anyway. Um, what do you think, Stato? Do, do, you, do you see there being much action uh, at Mossbear Park on Monday? I don't think there'll be much action come uh, Monday. There might be one addition. I don't think getting a new striker in is as important as we want it to be. I think whoever we get in, he won't be he won't be an instant replacement for Mitrovic. He'll if anything, he'll be a different option we can go for, something different off the bench. Because I think yesterday kind of proved that. You you look at the bench, you have Cavalero who he's not you know wouldn't I know he scored the goal and got the equaliser, but you wouldn't normally consider him to be a game changer. You have Kamara it's not much. So if it, you kind of want that alternative attacking option that can maybe offer something different if things aren't going our way. Um, but judging by what things are looking like, that looks quite unlikely, I think. Baldo, is Scott Parker going to bring Lazar Markovic home? <laughs> home, indeed. Um, I mean, it, it can't be much worse than what, what happened last time. I think given what Scott Parker has said, I will be incredibly surprised if there is any sort of movement. I mean, there has been like movement out, which could free up some things, like Seri's gone to Bordeaux. So if they take a large portion of the wages and if we get a decent loan fee, we may be able to scrape something together at the last minute. But I would be highly surprised if we do either that or Scott Parker is playing better mind games than Jose Mourinho at this stage, trying to throw us completely off the scent. Sonia, have you heard anything from Scott Parker when you've been at the press conferences? Any um, any noises towards any new signings or anything? No, everything he said suggests that he doesn't expect anyone to come in, although you know he, he does play it very, very quiet and doesn't like giving things away. But I, I would be very surprised. I think it's been a very difficult transfer window. We've hardly seen any moves, um, especially, you know, from out of the country into it. And I think mm. I think Parker would love to sign a striker. I, I just don't see it happening, I'm afraid. 
Okay. Can I ask Sonia? Sorry, uh, Sonia. Could I ask um, when you attend these conferences? Does I know Parker keeps his hands, you know, his his cards quite close to his chest, quite close to his chest, based on you know all the quotes. But does he come across as a bit of a frustrated figure when it comes to asking about transfers? Is there anything in his body language or his mannerisms that kind of indicate that he would like to get someone in, but it's just not going to happen? Well, I actually asked him about that last time I sort of said you know can you explain a bit about why it's been so difficult and I think his suggestion was it's just sort of the state of the world at the moment it's just very difficult um, I've asked other managers that and they've said sort of suggested things along the lines of you know well you don't know how much revenue clubs have been getting this year compared to normal especially a club like Fulham not convinced what league you're going to be in next year it, do- it does all add up to making it quite difficult. So I guess he, he, I guess he does understand why there isn't anything coming in because he's not, he's, he's not in charge of transfers. He's, it's, he kind of just advises it. So he's quite understanding of why we won't get anyone in. Then I'm guessing. That's definitely how it comes across. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure many other clubs have been doing much business either. So it's not like Fulham are far behind. No, definitely. I think it's something like there's been four permanent transfers in the Premier League all window. So we're not the only ones. I don't think. Not by a long shot. But before we move on to look ahead to the Leicester game, I just want to do a quick pulse check with a quick pulse check with all three of you, and ask you how secure do you think Scott Parker's job is at the moment? Um, I think I, I I like Parker. I, I think he deserves the whole season. But knowing the Cairns and knowing what they're like, I think it's not unrealistic to assume that. They could pull the trigger in the next couple of games. You know, I like him. He's been doing a good job. But the reality is we've got two wins in 20 and we're now four points, you know, away from safety. And I know Tony Khan's come out in the past and said that his relationship with Parker is the best he's kind of had with any manager. But you wonder how strained that becomes the more these results go on and the lack of wins happen. So I want to hope... They've got history. They've got history for doing it, haven't they? They, they, they do, they do. So, you know, as as much as I hope he gets, gets he lasts the rest of the season, it would not surprise me in the slightest if he goes in the next couple of games if results just don't start going our way. Sonia, I don't, I don't want to put you in a difficult position, but what, what's your gut feeling based on what you've seen rather than what you've heard or anything like that? You know, two wins out of 20 games, it's, it's not great. And looking at, you know, in... 13-14, we had three managers in that season. Martin Yole was sacked, Moulin Seam was brought in, he was sacked, Felix McGat was brought in. And then two years ago, uh, Jakanovic was given until November and then Claudio Ranieri had until February and then Scott Parker was brought in. So, you know, it, it, I, I feel like they like a panic sacking, the the Khans, but I don't know. I don't know if something feels different this time. I'm not sure. What, what's your gut feeling? think it would be a shame if he does go because I think there's actually been a lot of improvement this season um, from the performances at the start of the season to now and a lot of those new players brought in have performed well and do look up to Premier League standard I'm not sure it's quite the same as the McGath situation in the championship Um, but I I don't see it happening I think Khan's been quite positive from what I've seen on social media but you know it's these things can come straight out of the blue. And Baldo, you and I have both kind of spoken about this, but it wouldn't shock us if if it was Kevin McDonald coming in, would it, if, at some point before the end of the season? Stranger things have happened. Yeah, well, I, would, I would not be shocked, but I do think the one thing that holds in Scott Parker's favour is his contract situation. Like, if he was on his original contract, which would have expired in this summer then you'd sort of lean towards, right, it's easy to get him out. But his new contract that he signed last summer runs out in 2023. So you'd imagine there's a lot of compensation, and especially in the world that we're in, clubs not getting as much money in as they are. We might don't know what division we're going to be in. I think that stability there, or rather the insecurity there, where we don't know what's going on in the future, might just be the thing that saves him. Because I said I said this last summer, I think that shows a lot of faith that if we do go down, that Scott Parker has shown that he will be the man to bring us back up again. So I think he's safe, but at the same time, I would not be surprised. 
What I would also say is to the credit of the Khans, with the exception of probably Mühlenstein, they only make a second when it looks like the players aren't clearly playing for the managers anymore. And by the looks of things, the players are still clearly believing Scott. They're still playing as a team and they're still putting a shift in. So until that stops or until there's kind of signs that that's not, that is the case, yeah. I don't think he'll be in danger. That's the that's the thing. We're competitive in games. It's not like, you know, with McGath for, you know, first couple of months or weeks back in the championship where we were losing consistently. And then we lost like four or five, two, I think, to Nottingham Forest to seal his fate and Slav in the Premier League when everything was going on. We're competing in these games. All right, we may not be winning all of them, but we're not a disaster of a team like we were at the start of the season. We've managed to turn it around. So again, that's another thing that I think it that's a pro point for Scott Parker. Whether or not it's enough in the big picture, we'll just have to wait and see. We're just not winning games though, are we? I, I don't want Scott Parker to go. I like him and I don't think he's done that much wrong this season. He's improved us, as Sonia has said. But we aren't winning football games. And if you don't win games, then you get relegated. And ultimately, you know, that's that's what happened last time. We we look better than we did two years ago, and we look more solid, but we're equally in the bottom three, you know? So I, I don't I don't know how we're gonna turn this around. I don't I don't see it. I don't see how we're gonna turn these um these draws and defeats into enough wins to stay up i just i personally i can't see it all right on that note let's move on to look ahead to the next game and they don't get any easier it's leicester at home on wednesday it is wednesday isn't it yeah it's leicester at home on wednesday fulham all right, well, Stato, we've already beaten Leicester once this season in what was obviously our best result of the season so far. Can we do it again? And if so, how do we do it? Um, I think we've we've caught Leicester at quite a convenient time. Um, a few weeks ago, they were on a very hot streak of winning. Of I think they were on an unbeaten one of seven games, and you know they were really informed. But as of late, there's been a little stutter. Um, they lost to Leeds very recently, and I think the opportunity is there for them to for us to do the double well for them. I think uh, it's going to be one of those games where we're not we're not going to get many chances, and we're going to need to take our chances, which is quite ironic considering you know the fact that we're not taking our chances at the moment. But you know the opportunity is there, and getting three points would be a humongous boost for this team. Huge, it would be. Yeah, it, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how we do it, but I think you're right. Leicester aren't in the best of form at the moment. They, they yeah, they lost to Leeds today, and then they they had that draw at Everton in the week, didn't they? Where Jordan, oh, I keep thinking, what's his bloody name? Not Jordan Henderson, Jordan Pickford. That's the boy. That's Everton the boy. Yeah. That's the boy. Yeah, where he he made that mistake, um, and they, they were fortunate to get a point at Everton. So I think I think they might be there for the taking. Our defense is going to have to be completely on its game, and this is one of those games where everything's going to have to come together, and it it could make or break our season. But we're we're going to have so many games like this in the next few weeks because we haven't won our. Mu- our must-win games against uh, Brighton and against West Brom, we're, we're going to have to start picking off teams who we shouldn't, by right, be beating. And this is one of those games. Yeah, absolutely. But I there is this little set side of me that is thinking similar to the build-up to the Liverpool game, where every point you want to make, as you know, Arta said, uh, so brilliantly, we're getting at them at the right time. I'm getting that sort of sense because we had that against Liverpool because that was the time where, you know, our defence was starting to improve. So we felt mm, that attack, we might be able to deal with it. They were going through their set, or, well, they still are, going through their centre-back issue. So you think, oh, we might be able to nick one. I think it's pretty much the same here. You know, they're not the same team without Jamie Vardy in that side. They have some good players, but he's the one player, you know, similar to Armitrovic, the one player to take you over the top or the one team that makes you complete. So 
there is enough there to make you think we might be able to get something out of this, which is why I'm pretty confident, you know, even after the disaster of the West Brom draw, I think, you know, I'm not totally despondent about going into this game. I think we might actually get something. That's good to hear, mate. I'm glad you're not. Um, well, you've got to stay positive, haven't you? That's we're, we're living in an age at the moment where, you know, everyone's locked down and everyone's miserable and it's, it's so easy to kind of, let things get on top of you. And the fact that Fulham are just not winning games and in the bottom three and points adrift, it's it's very easy to kind of think, well, it's it's all over. So I think um I think good for you that, you know, you're you're still banging the drum that we could we could still uh we could still get our way out of this. So good stuff. Sonia, I'm gonna to come to you. Are there any changes to the lineup that you would make to the one that started at the Hawthorns on Saturday? for the the visit of Leicester on Wednesday how would how would you line up I would uh, start Canutete I think I think especially against Leicester you've got to be solid at the back or you know you find yourself two down and then you suddenly got to come back into the game um otherwise potentially Harrison Reed instead of Lamina um just to keep more of the ball in midfield I th- I found that once he came on West Brom did stop running the midfield and he was able to sort of do those tidy up in front of the defence and get the ball back without them creating chances. But otherwise, I think I'd stick with mostly the same team. And for you, Stato? Yeah, I I largely agree with what Sonia said. I'd like to see Kene Tete come in. Um, Preferably, I'd like to see him come in instead of Aina. I'd like to see if he can play in that kind of right centre-back slash right-back hybrid position that Aina plays in. I think he could do quite well there. And yeah, like you mentioned, Reed Villamina could also be a sensible one. He's a bit more defensive and he could kind of stop players like Madison getting forward and kind of break down their play a bit. So yeah, that's what I'd like to see. How about for you, Baldo? Yeah, make it a full house. The only change I really can and want to see is Tete in for Aina. You know, nothing against Aina, but I just feel that Mitrovic-Tete partnership that we've been crying out for ever since we saw that one assist against Ipswich, I think I think we need as much of that as we possibly can. So that's the one change I'd make. Well, let's not forget the one against Leeds as well. Yeah, but it started off against Ipswich. So yeah, ever okay. since that one thing, oh, we've got someone here and then he did it again. Okay. All right, Stato, give us some stats, mate. Oh, okay, some got some good stats here. So um, they've been a, wonderfully updated as well in time for the Leeds result. So uh, what I found quite interesting actually is that they're scoring the same amount of goals on average per game and roughly the same amount of goals conceded, which is 1.8 goals, uh, 1.2 goals conceded. And that's exactly the same as what it was last season. The difference, though, is that they're getting a lot more points. So last year, they were averaging 1.6 points per game. They're now up to 1.9. I think um, that can kind of be attributed to just this wacky Premier League season where anyone's beating anyone. So they're just kind of getting more points than usual. Um, however, um, despite the fact they're averaging more points, they are actually six points worse off than what they were at this point last season. Um, that kind of can be attributed to the fact that um, towards the end of last season, they kind of decreased quite poorly and they missed out on the top four because of that. Um, so, you know, whether they go through that decline again remains to be, whether this start of their decline, maybe this could be a good sign. Um, they've had six losses in the league so far this season. Five of those have actually come at home at the King Power, including one against us. Um, and of course, if, if you're good at math here, that means that only one away game They only only lost one away game this season, and that was a 3-0 defeat at Anfield to Liverpool. So, you know, they are bizarrely stronger away than they are at home, so trying to beat them will be no easy task. As mentioned earlier, they were on a seven-game unbeaten streak until that loss to Leeds um, on Sunday. Um, That seven-game unbeaten streak consisted of four wins and three draws. Um, in away games this year, they've won seven of those. Uh, three of those away wins have come from winning margins of more than three goals. So if we do lose, there could be a chance that it could be quite a hammering. I don't see that happening because, you know, that's not what we're about at the moment. We're, certainly we don't win them, but we don't, certainly we're not winning games, but we're not getting smashed three or four nil. 
Um, and 59% of the goals that Leicester have scored this season have come in the second half, with 33% of those coming within the last 15 minutes. So prepare yourself for some last-minute heartbreak, I think, on Wednesday. Um, and finally, they're just joint top in terms of goals scored outside of the box. So um, I hope Ariel has been testing, has been practicing his uh, long shot savings. How you say it? Just practicing his long shots, really, because uh, Leicester are joint top with goals outside of the box. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, mate, that's um, great to hear that we've got to pre- uh, prepare ourselves for some last-minute heartache. That's really good of you to include that in there. <laughs> Thank- thanks for taking the time to write that. Perfect. Cheers, mate. All about being optimistic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, ca- let's come on to a score prediction. I'll come straight back to you, Stato, seeing as you're on a roll. Um, so um, what, what's the last-minute heartache going to be? Uh, yeah, I, think gonna be? I think we're just going to do what we always do. We're going to draw, and let's be honest, Draw against Leicester is probably a good result, even though we don't need draws anymore. We need wins. Um, yeah, I can see us drawing one all, I think. Um, we'll go ahead, they'll equalise. And it would just be another game where we we can probably say we should have won, but we didn't. And that will be that, I think. Brilliant. Okay, mate. Well, I'll make sure I don't invite you on again anytime soon. <laughs> Thanks for those inspirational words. Uh, Baldo, how about for you? Uh, the last-minute heartbreak will be when Mitrovic misses an open goal to, that could have made it three-one, but the game will finish two-one. I'll say. I think we're gonna, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win this one. Good I honestly Good think man. we're going to win this one two-one. Who's who's scoring? Um, you know, let's say te, let's say Tete gets one via a iffy deflection from somewhere, and he's been he's been troubling. Let's say Tosin Tosin Adrobio. Gets one from a corner. We haven't scored many from corners, but he's going to get one. I feel positive. You reckon two defenders are going to score? When was the last time a defender scored? Aina probably against West Brom, was it? I mean, in this season, do we really care? Do we? Would it really shock anyone? I just, I just want to be positive. We're going to win. Okay. You prefer right, this positive mess over my pessimistic <laughs> realism? What's going on there? It's a good balance. It's a good balance. Now here's Sonia to um sort of tip on tip it one way or the other. I, I think I think it will be a draw. Um, I don't. <laughs> I'd agree with Stato. I, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't see Fulham scoring two or three goals. Um, I think that would be a, quite a big surprise. I'm not sure they've scored three goals since November, so I don't see that happening. But I I do think there could be some last minute heartache with Leicester getting a late equaliser. Unfortunately. Bloody hell! Good grief. Well. I'm going to try and stay positive and say we're going to win 1-0. Mitrovic in about the 60th minute. That would be lovely. But, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's, it's really difficult. When you're coming off the back of a run like this where you haven't won since the last time... We haven't we haven't won since the last time we played Leicester, right? So it's it's, it's very difficult to, to see. But, you know, you've, you've, you've got to try and stay positive. So let, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we can turn it around and we can start winning some games. All right, guys, let's leave it there. Sonia, thanks for joining us. Come back on again? Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Lovely stuff. All right, Baldo and Stato, thanks, lads, as always. Thanks to you for listening at home. J-Mac and I will be back for some Leicester reaction on Thursday morning. And I expect somebody else will be with us too, although I've no idea who that's going to be at the moment. Chin up, everyone. In the meantime, speak to you then. Cheers. Fulham.